Welcome to Drinking and Talking with your host, Vincent Franconi. Stuff. I don't know where my dog is, but he's probably going to wander in here and bark at some point. So cool. I'm stuck in my, in my, I'm stuck in my son's room because he's watching TV in the other room. Um, and it (laughs) smells horrible in here and it's, and it's dark and kind of, kind of cluttered and sort of depressing. So, uh, yeah, it's good there. I found a light that that's a little bit better, I suppose. Otherwise I'm sitting in like in the dark. (laughs) You're in a dark, uh, cluttered room that smells weird. Are you drinking yet? Have yeah. You oh, yeah. I just, I just started. <laughs> That's perfect. You know, I mean, you <laughs> want to be in a dark, dank room that reeks. By myself. It smells like, yeah. smells like teenage boy. He's not a teenager, but 10-year-old boy, 11-year-old boy. Well, it's, that's a fairly like you know recognizable odor. Yeah, so there you go. not good. <laughs> it's not good. See, this is the magic of like you know skyping is you can Skype from all kinds of ridiculous places. So, I mean, I'm in my I'm in my freezing cold. I don't know why I can't get warm in this apartment today, but it's not that cold today. It's only in the 40s, but it's, I'm freezing in the back room drinking a beer, which is not helping. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, I've got some whiskey and a beer. I may have to move on to whiskey combat. briefly, yeah. So if I have to say, you know, I'll yeah. be right back because I'm getting another drink. Because that's the other thing about not having Jeff here is uh, I don't have somebody to constantly be going running back and forth to get drinks. <laughs> that's nice that you have a beer man. <laughs> yeah, I never realized how important he was to this uh, to this operation until this moment. I always knew, but now I see, like, the very many things that he's done for this uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Because we usually awesome. meet, we usually meet in a bar when it's local, and oh, it's really? like he's the guy who just keeps oh. re- to like feed everyone liquor. Oh, that's amazing! So you you record yeah. you recorded those other ones in the bar as well. You recorded the first one okay. um, on the bar, and then the one with Sabella was by Skype. We've recorded oh, okay. three others that are in the can, or that are nice. not in the can yet. They're just being edited. So we've had um, most of them have either been in a bar once we recorded in the backyard of my apartment. Um, but we've done the Skype thing for the long distance folks, of course. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot easier. It is. I've never. This is my second Skype ever, so that's also why I like things. <laughs> with the, I'm totally not the tech savvy guy at all apparently this, this new skype is a pile of shit too like they they updated it when microsoft bought it and now it just sucks <laughs> like, like compared I, I have nothing to compare it to like what sucks about it well it used i mean it still works fine i think although like my call recorder was gone like it just deleted this the program that we used to do all of our podcasts um, mm-hmm. And it was not findable again. And they've changed all the layouts and the sounds and like how you add co- people to the calls. And it doesn't seem to work quite as smoothly as it did three weeks ago. Oh, really? And it looks it looks a lot stupider than it used to. I do remember this not looking so goofy. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's really it's really goofy looking. It's like, yeah, I, it's like Fisher Price style. Yeah, it's like, like it's like someone's idea of what the future would be circa like 1984. Maybe that's why it sort of makes sense to me because it sort of reminds me of movies I saw as a kid where I thought, well, that's what I'll be living in someday. Yeah, it'll be like a nice little pink, like fuchsia color at the bottom <laughs> of the screen, fading nicely into blue to give you relaxing overtones. Like it's, it's ridiculous. But I think the same thing about the new iPhone, like their new. Um, 
whatever you call it, like the um, iOS or whatever, that it looks like a kid's plaything. It doesn't look sophisticated or cool. It looks like a kid's Fisher Price toy. That's how all of them sort of appear. Like I get why the BlackBerry was a big deal because that kind of looked like the thing that like a lawyer would carry around with them. Yeah. But like the, the iPhones just keep mark. I think they're gearing towards like a younger market, or they're just just trying to be silly or, or whimsical in their design because Steve Jobs, they feel like they have something to live up to, his legacy. But it, it does look kind of juvenile and stupid. And they love to have shit that you can put on top of things, like stickers or like when you send people someone mm-hmm. a text and say congrats and all the balloons come flying. Like, yeah, <laughs> fuck is that? <laughs> I, it's, I, it's a little bit of a... I mean, I'm getting on in years. I'm, I'm in my mid-40s, so I, maybe I'm starting to sort of see everything through the prism of, like, fuck the kids. Like, why are we catering every little thing toward, like, the youth market? Like, I'm, maybe I'm, I think I'm oversensitive about it. So everything I see now, I just like, oh, well, they're just trying to get kids to buy shit. Yep. I agree. But Being I old is the worst. It's <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, there's a plus to it that I like, which is I kind of don't care about anything anymore. But That would be nice. I mean, maybe maybe, maybe yeah. give me two more years, and I'll, and I'll be there. <laughs> Now I've, now I've got the, I've got the care stuff. and I don't fit in the world anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you have kids. You kind of have to kind of care about things. Like, you know. Oh, you yeah. Have to, you have to think about the environment and whether or not, like, your, Dude. you know, your carbon footprint is big and you're ruining it for the, for your kids. Uh, they'll figure it out. They'll, they'll, they'll come with some kind of <laughs> crazy-ass science that will make it all better. You're putting a lot on their shoulders, but I don't know That's- your kids. So. No, my kid, my, not my kids. My kids are oh, okay. hopeless. But I mean, like the future generations, they, they, they'll, they'll figure something out. They're smart. Science evolves. I don't know. <laughs> There's not. Yeah. What am I gonna do, really? <laughs> I, eh, I don't know. Just watch it all fall apart. And, yeah. From your vantage point of of uh, being near death. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> God, you know, it's my plan. It's just sort of hang out long enough to kind of see the shit really hit the fan and then just be like, well, this doesn't just mean this makes the last three years of my life kind of inconvenient (laughs) as, as it's all going to hell. You're just like, start shooting heroin. (laughs) Just Mm -hmm. It's like, fuck it. (laughs) Let's just enjoy this last moment. Ask ask anybody who knows me from the nineties. That was my plan for years. Like me and Sabella, when we were roommates, the plan was, when I hit like 50, I think I said, I was just going to like ditch any family that I'd started, quit, every, <laughs> quit any job I was in, and here I were move back together and start doing heroin and just live like complete reprobates. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to do it because I'm four years away from that. And it's, you know, like, maybe, not, not 50, like, maybe 80. 80 sounds yeah. like a good time. <laughs> yeah, if we make it to 80, like, you know, you kind of earn that, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah, that was always crazy. the idea. It's like, like work my ass off and, and get really, you know, re- respectable and professional and all that shit, and then just throw it all away just to watch it burn. Truly, <laughs> <laughs> something only somebody in their twenties would say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're never gonna live past thirty, anyways, man. That's old. I know the idea back then. I remember one of our um, the dean at the University of Rochester, the former dean, um, Tom. Tom DiPiero is his name, and he uh, was teaching class once, and they were talking about um, Homer and the Odyssey and the Iliad, and they said something about, like, isn't Penelope supposed to be um, 32 or something? Or Helen of Troy, I mean, is supposed to be, like, 32 or some age like that when uh, when the she sets the war in motion, or or when, when, when it ends. I forget what it is. But anyways, like, some kids yeah. in the class were like, 32? Who wants to read about, like, 32-year-olds having sex? <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Like, 
That's perfect. Yeah. 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 The idea that the idea that a 32 year old woman could be so goddamn beautiful that she would just cause like she would be the face that launched a thousand ships. That's like laughable to somebody when they're 17. Fake news. <laughs> There's no way. Bullshit. Don't believe it. Nope. <laughs> the arrogance. The arrogance. I love it. The, man, kids these days. They also don't know anything. They have like no connection to the past. It's amazing. The students in my school or the, in my classes that are like, like I don't. I'm sort of afraid for them, like that they're gonna make it through life somehow because like they frequently have no idea like what happened ten years ago. <laughs> like, like really? you can. I mean, it's almost to the point. This isn't quite true. But when I've talked about like Chernobyl or like, follow the Berlin Wall, I have to explain it. Like in in ways that you would think like no 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 they they already know about this but they don't and like when you get to like culture it's like a fucking just a just a blank hole anything anything before like two thousand and six just never existed. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that is, I, I, and I make the stupid assumption that they know what I'm talking about when I talk about like Iran Contra or something. Right. Oh God, yeah. Dumb. Oliver North would just be like, "Who? What is that? Was that the guy that was on that played Mister Big on Sex in the City?" Yes, that's him exactly. Yeah, <laughs> which to me is a bigger sin than you know than you know anything <laughs> Oliver North ever did is being on Sex in the City. Fact. It's just yeah, exactly. Even though you know. Barishnikov was on that show. What oh my god, do? that's right! I forgot about that. I was thinking about Barishnikov. See, I know today. this because you know I shouldn't know this, but I do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just realized. I, why do I know this? I don't think I ever really watched that show more than like a handful of times. But I remember that that being there. We did an event in his space in New York once with um, really? Jessica Lang. Really? Yeah, and I so met had, Sam Shepard. Yeah, and, and, and Jessica Lang in a space. Yep. Yeah. 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 There was. It was for um, Mercy Rodoreda. For uh, they did a whole celebration for her and for Catalan literature. It was like Catalan Literature Week, Catalan Culture Week, or whatever in New York. Right. And they did a lot of the events at his space. And they had Jessica Lang give a one-woman performance of uh, "Time of the Doves." Which is not a book Jesus we published, Christ. but we also got to, I got to go on stage before her. That was a, that was a crowd prepper or whatever and talk about death and spring and why that people should read Mercer Rodoreda. Jeez. Are you publishing something for us again? Yeah, I've we are. You, I've seen you like on, on Facebook kind of, uh, pumping her up. Yeah, we're doing yeah. it. We have the new podcast that we do. That's the two month review where we take one book or in this case, like two books by the same author. Cause they're both short and, um, talk about them like week by week, slowly, but surely working our way through as a way of like giving people a chance to slow down, get into some of these more difficult books that we publish and like have someone there to like sort of help explain little sections of it or just appreciate it. Um, I see. and, uh, so we've been doing Rotorita. We did all of our short stories and today we recorded the first, uh, episode of death and spring um which i, I don't th- i don't even remember when it's going to go up i think it's december 6 or something so it's a few weeks ahead of time but um so i read the 27 pages of that we were supposed to talk about last night and i had read that book that was one of the first books we published so it was like 2009 that it came out 2000 oh is that right 2000 it would have come out in, yeah in the beginning of 2009 so that's a long time ago now and i'd always like remembered it as being this great weird book but the first 27 pages are 27 of the best pages i've ever read like they're really? so good it's so sharp the that all the and having worked through her stories which i like but i don't like them as much as this like I, some of them i do but a collection of short stories is weird i think it's just weird because there's no single thread it's hard to like 
you know, compartmentalize in some ways to, to talk about it. I mean, to just read it is perfectly fine, but to try and like write an article about it every week and to talk about it every week, like four or five stories in a, at a time, it becomes pretty difficult, or at least it did for me. Um, because I just kept, I kept running out of topics. Like, what else am I going to do now? Like, I've done everything I have that I care about. Like, I have nothing more to say. But then going to the novel, like, those 27 pages are as sharp as her best stories. She worked on the book for, like, 30 years, and it's it's so precise and so exacting and such a fucked-up world. Like, I, I said this on the, the podcast, but I'll tell you, too. So the first bit of it, it begins with this kid who's 14 swimming in a, in the, in a river in this town that's sort of redefined as a village, and it's clear that through the book like it develops the idea of what this is. And as he's swimming, gets out, and you start to learn through his thoughts about all these different rituals they have. Like, every year they have to send a, a, one of the people from the village in the river under the city, because they have to knock the... the um, the stones out of the way so that the the river doesn't overflow the city and kill everyone. And so these people have like their faces all ripped off from having gone through that that ritual. And then he sees his dad go and cut open a tree so he can bury himself inside the tree and be digested by the tree because everyone in the town believes that as you're dying, they have to pour concrete into your mouth so that your soul doesn't escape. <laughs> and then they bury oh, you Jesus. in the tree. And like <laughs> it has all these crazy rituals that come up like there's pregnant women and they have then they have a fest so they the the people they he goes, puts himself in a tree, and the people in the town figure out that he's there. And um, so they come running in, and they uh, hack open the tree, pull him out, stuff his mouth full of concrete, and then uh, then they have a big fiesta. And during the fiesta, you find out that people who are pregnant have to be blindfolded, because otherwise they'll look at men fall in love, and their babies will change their, <laughs> their shape to look like that that man. And there's a senior living on the hill who's, like, sort of ominous, and, like, it's it sounds absolutely insane to recount it, but when you read it a bit by bit, like like stone by stone, it's wonderful and everything makes complete sense and it's beautiful and lyrical and like really kind of unsettling to read. But like when you talk about it as a whole, you're just like, what in the shit? <laughs> like this is it's a weird book, but it's it's so good, it's so good. Nice. I should look at that. I don't know why. There's a lot of them that have escaped me over the last couple of years because I've been like focusing so much on other things. That like, I'm reading, um, and like part of it has way. to do with school, but part of it has also to do with that I descended into the abyss of poetry, which Ooh. like it's literally like all I've read for two years for some reason. Seriously, I mean, I read like a lot more. I read a lot of nonfiction. I read like articles and things like that, and a lot of um, essay collections. But I can't like I think I've read the last novel I read was uh, the one that came out. It was from Melville House Press. Um, but I can't remember the name of it. It's uh, I think it's called Eggshells by uh, this Irish writer whose name escapes me, but she's really good. Um, but I think I got it because they sent me a copy. Like, you oh, know, I still yeah. like review copies of stuff and I'll read those. Yeah. But yeah, it's just been like, I don't know. Every, I do this every few years. I kind of go into a place where like, that's what I'll read for a while. And then I kind of get so sick of it that I have to go back. And then suddenly like a novel is like the most amazing thing again. Cause it's like, God. look at this. Like so many things are going on in this book that I could never have experienced <laughs> otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just weird. I mean, it's, I probably snuck more in than I realized. I just can't think of the last few novels. Cause it's yeah. like so much of it is about teaching. And all I do is just read like short bursts of poems on the train for like right. an hour. And then like, I'll go to work and then I'll come home and then I'll just like, like watch Netflix or go to sleep early or something. crazy like that. <laughs> This is also You're pretty good. Old man. <laughs> I am totally an old man. Yeah. 
I just realized this is probably a good time to actually introduce our guest on Drinking and Talking, which is, <laughs> and we've been talking for however many minutes, which is Chad Post, who is publisher extraordinaire and uh, what do I call you, jefe of jefes, leader, uh, director, um, head of um, Open Letter, the great yep. press, the translation press uh, out of Rochester, New York. Yep. Here it's cold, cold with Genesee beer. How cold is it out there? I was complaining a minute ago, but it's kind of bad out there, right? It's not right now. Today's really nice. Today was like warm for whatever reason. Um, but the, it did snow a little bit a couple days ago. Like there's a dusting. <laughs> we had a little bit of that, but it was mixed with the leaves and then it went yeah. away in like less than a day. But it was kind of weird for a minute there because it was like watching, it was like snow and leaves all mixed up. I was in Brazil. Uh, I don't know if it was last week. I've been traveling like nonstop, so I'm not entirely sure like where, when things happened or exactly where I, where I am <laughs> most of the time. Like I'm not kidding. Like since, since the middle of September, since September 11th, I've been on week-long trips to Spain, 10 days to Spain, two trips to Minnesota, Poland for a week, Brazil for a week, and Toronto for three days. See, now, I would be envious of that were it not for the my, my, my assurance that you probably weren't, like, jet-setting and gallivanting the entire time. Yeah, no. it's I mean, it's, it's fun to go to all those places. It's just weird that it all happened one after the other. Like, I came home from uh, Poland— did is that right? I wait, no, no, no. I came home from Minnesota, did our gala, our big celebratory gala the next day, and the day after that flew to Brazil. After See, teaching I, a class. The thing that's funny about that is that you just confuse Poland with uh, Minnesota. Oh so. god, well, yeah. Yeah. No, well, that's kind of those are kind of the same in a way. Although that Poland right now is much more fascist, which is un, uncool. That's my my homeland where all my people are from and uh and now it's like a fucking terrible terrible government and terrible groups of people doing terrible things yeah there's that i mean minnesota's not that way necessarily to my no. experience but you know no they just like and if they were fascists they'd be like polite fascists they'd be really really nice fascists and they also like to elect uh gropers which well as we as we now know yeah i know allegedly yeah. allegedly <laughs> so here's a good since we're, so this is a good way of, of getting contemporary news into the conversation that you could you could chime in because you know we're seeing like the world of politics and the world of hollywood um you know have all these have these moments where they're exposing a lot of that behavior with men so i you don't have to speak too much on this we could always cut it out but like you know you're in publishing you've been in publishing for years you're like my man in the industry um so is this something where you're expecting the deluge of like you know, sexual uh, harassment stories start coming out of the publishing world. So I just not going to be any news because oh, no, it's, not- it's it's totally. There's one that's going to happen that will that will be a bigger story. There'll be a, like a pretty significant story. Like really, maybe maybe New York Times worthy. Jesus, I I am pretty sure. Um, I'll tell you who it is in a second, but I'll tell you the story, and then you might have to bleep out the name. But uh, but nevertheless, <laughs> I'll tell you. But um, so there's um, like uh, there's a, a few months ago they started a list of like the shitty shittiest men in, in media that meant publishing, but used media. I don't know why, because like <laughs> I think media would include like film, whatever. But they, it was like the shittiest men in publishing, and this like. This, uh, what should we call it, like Excel file, a list of names and, and allegations and all that kind of stuff was floating around to various people. And it says explicitly on it, like, not to give it to any men, to, like, not take anyone's name off, to understand that a lot of them are just, like, 
allegations and not like anything certain. And then there were like highlighted names of people who are uh, who are violent um, and had had committed domestic abuse or like sexual abuse, um, physical abuse. I mean, and it, I guess it was passed around for a while. And I sort of knew that it existed. But uh, last night I saw on Facebook that um, Ed Champion, who you may or may not know, he's a blogger for a long time. He's famous for like any of those podcasts, but he um, is famous for like going on like really aggressive tirades and uh, being very opinionated. And to be honest, I know a lot of people like really didn't like him and didn't like things that he said about um, Emily Gould and various female writers. But to be honest, he's just like a he's just a a blowhard of some sort. It's like mm-hmm. he's opinionated, loud, opinionated, goofy dude, like, to be honest. And that, I don't even know that he would object to be heard that. He's kind of a goofy dude, right? Um, yeah. He's not threatening. He's just, like, a little crazy and unhinged at times. And he has his moments, like we all do, with the depression or anxiety or whatever. So anyways, uh, when he, um, I don't know if you know the story, but he uh, he attacked, like, Emily Gould and a few other women, called them some names, like, dumb millennial writers, basically. And people were so pissed at him, he got his, like, Twitter handle revoked. There were all these articles about how he's the most hated man in publishing. His girlfriend left him, um, who's also in publishing, all this stuff. And he went and tried to kill himself. And um, Jesus. by jumping off the Brooklyn Bridge. And he didn't, but he shut down traffic for like two hours or something. He ended up in Bellevue. He was homeless for a long time. He started getting his shit back together and trying to do stuff again now. But um, but he still gets emails that'll post online about like people just be like, "I wish you had jumped. You, you're the worst piece of shit. Like I hate you. I'm never listening to your podcast. I, I, I next time you go to kill yourself, let me know and I'll push you. Like things like that. Like really fucked up stuff. And um, and he had a, a long bit last night that he's on the list. He's like, I'm on this list. I found out I've never like physically abused anyone. They've never sexually assaulted anyone. You know, they're just, people will never let this go. I'm going to be, you know, branded forever. I can't be part of this industry. No one will like talk to me. I can't get a job. All these things are like absolutely true and crazy. Cause like he, you cannot like him, but like, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think that it was like the worst thing ever to write like some crazy review of people writers you don't like you know whatever it's fucking words on page but i mean he, he just wrote reviews that were kind of scathing and a little mean-spirited it wasn't saying like you know terribly horrible insulting sexist things about writers i mean i think they, i think they're kind of sexist and and like latently sexist latently misogynist at least and um sure but um but it and and he would like use his theoretically his his girlfriend at the time uh sarah weinstein I think that's her last name, or Weinman, Weinman, um, was involved with, like, publishers, marketplace and stuff, and they would sort of help certain people's careers or not help people's careers in the way that they could, but I don't know that they had, like, that much power, um, but they were intimidating to people, so intimidating, I guess. But anyways, mm. so he said he's on this list, so I was like, God, what the fuck is this, really? So I Googled it, and you can find it <laughs> online. It's not hard to find, um, and so I looked at it, and, and I was, like, sort of surprised by the number number of people on there that I knew personally like I figured there would be some but there was I think it was like 20% like I I knew 20% of the people on there either knew them very personally or like knew who they were and it wouldn't be hard to be to meet them I was introduced by to one via email today ironically but the the top person on there um and this is where you may need to bleep this out is a from the Paris Review and FSG. Really? And I knew that the second they said that this this list existed, I was like, 
is on that list. I guarantee it. And um and the stuff on there is like, you know, un, he he assaulted someone and like um had unwanted anal sex with them, and that there was a settlement out of court to hush some things up and he's marked as like a, a physical abuser. And that's the one that like I emailed like his friend that or my friend Nicole who works there this morning is like, does he know that he's on this? And she's like, oh, that's old news. Like we're way into way deeper, crazier shit that's going on with that now. So like I have a feeling that there is going to be some sort of article and that's a big enough publication in person because he's been featured in the New York Times multiple times that that would be the one that would be a huge deal. And then I'm not yeah, I mean, sure where you go from there because there are other people on there that like are whatever, but they're not like they're not like the names that like the mainstream media would recognize. Probably they're just like uh, other other people who work in publishing. But then publishing also has had this long, long standing thing where it was very like incestuous in a sexual I mean not incestuous like incest but like it was very closed community in which there's tons of sexual activity between all of its members and like people would go to Frankfurt first time I went to the Frankfurt book fair someone said that if you weren't sleeping with someone by day three it was a bad Frankfurt um and like then <laughs> they would have like their their uh their um what should we call it like their uh their trade show spouses and there's all kinds of like you know stuff like that that's like whatever like 70s swinger sort of mentality of things and like very like libertine and free and artistic and all that kind of stuff and i don't know like there there's a lot of those kind of stories i don't think belong in this sphere but now taken because of like because of the the stuff that's going on i wouldn't be surprised if there's a handful of those things too of like so this guy basically drunk, drunkenly like, groped me at a party and you're like yeah because like everyone was drunkenly groping everyone like i've seen <laughs> a lot of bad shit <laughs> i mean i've always heard about frank frankfurt's a big fair it's the one that like you know i've always heard about and sort of been like yeah that'd be so cool to go to that someday but you know i'd have to be like in the industry to really do it i mean it's not like something i can crash yeah. but damn i should have crashed it <laughs> you know, and I was a single guy. That could have, that could have been like some eyes wide shut with like, but you know, it's just, it's, it's funny because the people who aren't in the industry or like, you know, who aren't like, you know, big book nerds will probably hear this and think like, oh, well, you know, this is, this is how wild could these affairs be? Apparently yeah. they get pretty wild. They do get a little wild. They're, it's funny because like one of the bits, there's an article in Harper's about, um, about Frankfurt back when it was like starting to like become something different and much more corporate and much more like efficient and like all this kind of fun, crazy, fun publishing drunkenness was, was sort of being phased out or like not phased out entirely, but not as, as lauded as it had been. And, um, right. And in that article, it talks about, and this is absolutely the case, that the uh, cab drivers hate Frankfurt because no one from the book fair goes to the red light district where they get their, like, kickbacks. Um, so they're always like, well, you want to go get a hooker? And all the people in publishing are like, no, 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 I'm going to the party where, like, I'm going to hook up with someone there. And, and the cab drivers are like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're cutting into our income. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's beautiful there was you'll See, appreciate you know, I that. think of frankfurt as being like I, mean, I always think of it as being like a, a mildly wild affair but like like when i was interning at words without borders and like susan would tell me about it um it was always like well you know the champagne cart comes at you know in the yeah. middle of the day and you're just sort of like knocking back cocktails and you know treating witticisms and hobnobbing and networking but i didn't know that they had like this weird you know kind of key party element to it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I might be playing that up slightly, but um but there is a there's a there's a like a hookup industry to it. 
there's oh, a, there's a, like because you're because I think because you're in a group in which for once people are also especially if you're not in New York City you're in a, you're in a group of people who are who are familiar with what you do and don't think of it as weird or strange and like book people tend to be a little awkward or like or whatever and they're in a group of everyone's like on equal footing it's like a comfortable sort of scene so I think there's a lot of that and a lot of these people like a lot of agents are a lot of there's always a there's always a, a number of very young people who are involved who are single and who are not they're cheating on their spouses but they're like literally like finding boyfriends girlfriends that become future wives or husbands um, because they're all in that industry and it's international right. you're meeting people from like all over the world and that's exotic and sexy like there's that there is that element to it I mean people aren't People are like what they are. I mean, it's just uh, it's not like it's not like everyone's like uh, you know super <laughs> super super sexualized when they hit Frankfurt. But like the the setting yeah. sort of lends itself to like a lot of flirtatious activity. I can see that. It's kind of funny because like the joke always seemed to me that you know I had a lot of friends who wanted to be actors, and um, I would always sort of like make you know jokes about like well I hope you like waiting tables, and they would always be like yeah it's funny Dick. And then like one of the this <laughs> girl that I used to know in college like the funny thing she ever said was she's like are you kidding me i'm gonna fuck my way to the top and like i thought like, she's kind of joking but i think you know she was kind of half serious right. and uh it, apparently it's kind of the way you could i wonder if that works with the agents and the oh publishers too because it's just like you know wonder like you know the people i know can't get a book deal it's like you're not you know you're not really out there uh, you know giving yeah. the goods yeah you're not you're not playing the game Oh God! There was you'll appreciate this so much. There was one time um, I, I heard this through someone, so it might be it might be circumspect, but I, I believe it fully. Um, that Heidi Fleiss was on the Howard Stern show after she had been called out as like the Hollywood madam, right? And they're talking about like how yeah. does that work? And she's like, you know, when you're running like a, a brothel, like the con- conferences or conventions are like the best thing for you because all these people are away from home. They're they're willing to do things they otherwise wouldn't do. It's all secretive, blah blah blah. And she's like, except for this one conference. MLA? She's like, those people oh don't use brothels at all. <laughs> MLA? Really? Yep. Singled it out as being like, nope. That, that conference sucks for hookers. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, yeah. Jesus, because oh, I've always heard about MLA. I've never gone to the MLA Oh, conference. you've never gone? Every, every year, I keep thinking, oh, I'm going to go, because I can, prob- I can get money to go from school. I, yeah. It's not like I have to pay but I'm so lazy now that I'm just like, ugh, God, I'm not going to go to L.A. Like, going to AWP, it has to be in Chicago for me to go. Yeah, it's in Tampa this year, which is brutal. I don't think I want to go to that. No. But. MLA is depressing. It's, it used to be sort of fun because it was like... um in the heyday, I mean, it was like people are getting hired before like the economic collapse, and like people are getting jobs. So there's a lot of people like there to do interviews, and they're very nervous, nervous, and like you know, kind of fucked up. But there's a lot of people there, and they're like younger, tended to be um, good mixed, where it was like slightly younger because a lot of those people were the ones that were interviewing, um, and they'd come and be interested in books, and it was fine. And now it's just like no one's there. All the interviews are done by by Skype or remotely. Um, there's the book fair is just fucking depressing mess. Like it's, it's just not, it's not that engaging. Um, and I don't know if you, if you went to like, go see the panels, I think you would quickly want to kill yourself. That's kind of why I haven't gone is because, well, I mean, the times that I wanted to go were probably about 10 years ago when I was first hearing about this and, um, I was adjuncting and you're not getting 
yeah, to be an adjunct as far as money to go to these things. So it's like I never wanted to shell out for it. And then when I got hired full time at school and I could probably start making that swing, like the person I knew who was sort of like, you know, went to all the conferences was like, oh, MLA is kind of like, you know, a waste of time. It's not really like worth going to. And yeah. So I just decided I just would never go to that, and yeah. that's a part. That's a thing I don't. I could. I could afford to miss. That's. But I know I, people go every year. I mean, colleagues of mine go to that, and they go to the to the other one for composition every year. Oh, really? I just always feel like. Eh. I mean, I don't know. The only one that I've ever liked were ADBP for once upon a time, but even that, I don't really think the last time I went, I was so jazzed about it. It's so huge that you know ADBP ties into my 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 sort of like growing. Uh, despair at like the inequities in the publishing and book field. I mean, they're always there and they're always shitty, but like the AWP now, like you can't remember how when you'd go and everyone, all the publishers that took out tables where you sell books. So anyone who hasn't is not familiar with AWP, it's Associated Writing Programs Conference. Um, so it's all people who are MFA students um, or professors in MFA programs. Um, and a lot of publishers would, there'd be a book fair and all the publishers would take out these tables. Every table was the same. There was no like, no hierarchy. Everything was basically equal footing. You'd get you'd get to pick where you would be located um, early on, so you could create little rows. So they created like a translation section at one point in time. Created like a poetry section of like the hipster poetry presses and all these journals are there. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of these tables of all these things that you may never ever ever hear about outside of AWP. And then. Um, and we'd sell a lot of books. Like we sold hundreds of books at that conference over like a three day period. And now I went to renew it and I re- just renewed our, our thing as we usually do. Um, and now tables are not cool. Everything's a booth, which is like twice as much. And if you have a table, you're in a shitty location and all the prime real estate is for like these booths where people are paying a lot more. And it's like bigger presses. It's not like, it's not cool or whatever. And it's just part of like the way in which there are these, if you have money and you have success already, you will be more successful and have more money and, and, and your books will get talked about. And if you're not already successful, you're not moneyed or whatever whatever, your books will never get covered. Like there's no, it's so much harder for a book that's like really good, but from the wrong press to break through now. And it's, and I, well, yeah, I mean, I and know it all that sucks. Stuff. Yeah. And like all this stuff is sort of in that vein. Like there's a lot of like winter Institute is this, um, thing for booksellers where you can go to be to, so booksellers, two booksellers from every store get to go. Um, and it's capped at that. It's in like some semi-remote location. Like this year, it's in Memphis. It's in January, so it's off season. So it's like cheap. Um, and it's basically a place where for a few days they have like uh, panels about how to maximize your store's profit or whatever. And if you want to be a publisher and go, they didn't want it to be like BA. So you have to be a sponsor. And as a sponsor, you get certain benefits. So if you are a sponsor, you get to go to three lunches that are an hour and a half long, and you get a pitch two of your books um, to table after table for 15 minutes each. And you get to put those books in like a galley room where people can go pick them up. That is a $6,000 cost per press. And so we can't afford that. We can't go to this. And so like everyone and, and they sell these things immediately. They have a capped number of presses that can go. It's the same presses every year. It's all the people you expect there to be. And um, and they're the ones who get to like have the captive audience and get to like make sure their books take off. So I go rogue this year. I, I'm staying in Graceland and like the guest house at Graceland Ooh. in Memphis. Right. Yeah. Um, that's cool. And then um, and I'm crashing. <laughs> I'm just taking my books. I'm taking a translator and we're just throwing a little party and we're crashing it. It was, fuck that. 
Yeah, indeed. That's ridiculous. Crashing it mean you're just going to like, you know, be adjacent to the event. You're going to just yep. literally go into the Oh, I'm going to go. Book. It's all in a hotel. And I'm going to go in that hotel. And I'm going to sit at the bar with a stack of my galleys and a stack of my catalogs. And I'm going to buy people drinks and talk to them about our books. <laughs> That's brilliant. Fuck it. Why not? <laughs> I know. Yeah, and I've told other do? people, and some people are like, man, you get a check with them. They're not going to like that. It's like, you know, I don't care. Like, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> they can not yeah, like mean, it like, all they you, want. It's a bar in a hotel. They're not going to like it, but they're not They're not going to let you in, you know. I mean, it's like they're going to just adjust their rates to let you guys in in the future. It's like you're already basically barred from the event. Yep. There is there is a, a so smaller, sort of like small, small option that on the day after everything takes place, you get uh, you get to go on stage with anyone else who's one of these small press people who are like it's like thirty five hundred dollars, and you get to talk about one book for four minutes. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah that's cool. I just I would love to see you try to explain in four minutes the complexities of like maiden hair. <laughs> you know, dude, Which I think is like to this day. The book that, like, you know, is, is the hardest of any in your catalog that I've read to, like, yep. break down. But like, that's what I've always liked about is what you guys put out is you're putting out books like that that I would never see anywhere else. But, like, it's, it's a typical open letter book in as much as, like, how do you really have a four-minute encapsulating discussion of that, of the entirety of that book. Yeah. And what no. it has to offer. You just say things like, potential Nobel Prize winner doesn't like Putin. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, Buy okay. this book. See, this is why you're in the industry. There you go. You just did it. Yeah. You That's all you need to say. Has nothing to do with the actual book. But no, hell no. It's about an opera singer. Yeah. There People you love go. opera singers. I had this. You're gonna get. You're gonna get some like anti-Trump kid who's like you know, all like like righteously indignant and politically active to buy it. And go put it right here. Fuck that. Yeah. Fuck Putin. And then they're gonna get like page ten, and they're like, "What the hell have I done? What, what is going on?" Hashtag MAGA. My um, one of my <laughs> students. They I always make my students give pitches for the books. Like they get assigned a book, and they have to do like a marketing plan. And this one student um. Who's <laughs> Translator now from the French. He was doing a, a Marguerite Duras book, La Amour, and he's like, mm-hmm. "Yep, it takes place at the sea, and bitches love the sea." It's <laughs> like, That's okay, good. you win. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like Monty Python, the summarized Proust uh, competition in the game show. It was like, you know, just like some really something very similar to that. Yeah. We're gonna do a two month review on Maiden Hair next year, so you'll have to come on talk about a section. Oh yeah, I read that thing. I, how long has that book been out? I read it. it must have been Shit. five years ago, uh, at least. And uh, that's when I read it. I read it the year before it came out because I read it as a to proof it. So like yeah, my right. memory of that is so warped, and like there's parts of it that I do re- clearly remember, like the beginning and a lot of the stuff about the opera singer, the like the diaries. But um, but there's a ton of that book that rereading it's going to be illuminating. Yeah, that's that's definitely a book that would need I'd need to dip back into because yep. it's been so. It's it, that's a book that like a lot of them, like a lot of books I've read that I love. Uh, that they're like the experience of it and the feeling evoked is really what stays with me, yeah. which is sort of like that book and um did you ever read um what's that book again by denoso uh the obscene oh. bird of night you know what i've had that on my to read shelf for 15 years no longer than that i bought a copy of that in 1998 when i was working at a bookstore in north carolina and i have carried that around for 20 years and i've not read it it's pretty great I think it's uh, something you dig. I know. I've always heard that. I've just never, I've, I've always like, oh yeah, maybe I should read that. And it's like, oh wait, I have to finish like, 
this book for work or this book for class or this. And, and I, well, that is the problem. It. It's not like a book you can just sort of sneak between projects or between assignments. It's definitely like a book that you have to, you're a pretty quick reader still, but I think it's definitely something you need to commit like a couple weeks to for sure. Yeah. I really, do, so I do a lot of audiobook stuff and I don't think that has an audiobook. So like I've been reading, um, I've been reading, uh, um, Dahlgren, the Samuel Delaney book yeah, yeah. via, via, <laughs> this is so stupid and nerdy. So I listen to the audiobook. I have the audiobook, but then I listen to it while I'm at the gym because I have, um, a free ebook version so I can read along with the audiobook while I'm running on the treadmill. <laughs> so I read in like 30 wow. minute chunks, um, of this fucking insane book. That's like, you know, very surreal, very strange, very much like, uh, experimental and, and somewhat off-putting at the gym while everyone else is watching like True House Hunters or whatever. Sure, sure, yeah. Nerd. That's good. That is nerdy. Yeah, it's super nerdy. I like the I like the audio books too. Like my wife and I, when we go on long drives, we'll listen to like we listen to all of um, Trevor Noah's book Born a Crime, and it was really kind of fun thing because he reads it, and then we listen to like Christopher Hitchens' books. We're listening to like God is Not Great as we were driving. I listen to that. Day. Yeah, because Hitchens has got a great voice. You he know? does. If you're going to read Hitchens, you might as well listen to him read his own stuff. It's equally as satisfying. <laughs> but uh, my wife, you know, when she got Audible, was finding books that she knew that I loved. And she was like, like, wouldn't it be great to drive and listen to 2666? And it's totally not. It's like the worst <laughs> audio book I've ever heard. Really? Why? Like, whoever is doing the reading is doing this somber, serious uh, reading of it. And it's not like it's a light book necessarily, but like all of Bologna, however, like horrifying some of the stuff in there, there's humor and there's, you know, a, a different tone than this guy was evoking with his overly theatrical, like actors, you know, trying to make some rent money doing a reading of Bologna. And it was so ultra serious that it just kind of, it just bugged me so much. That's awful. Those are the worst. Like when that's, and that's, uh, then, then they read them that way. There's one kind of, what book was it? I returned them. Cause then audibly you can return it for credit. And um, frequently, like, I've returned one, so I just, like, listening and, like, I can't even, I can't deal with this. Or I hate that book, and I'll return it, and they'll get a free credit. That's a good idea. I, you're the, I think you told me, somebody told me, I'm thinking it was you, that you were listening to a Murakami audio, and it was, like, oh. bad Japanese, like, voices. They were doing accents and shit. Uh, yes, 100%. It's the, um, the colorless, <laughs> the, what is that book, the most recent one, like, the colorless. Colorless, somebody, something, and, yeah. And so it's a pretty a, bad book. It's a really bad book. And so there's a character yeah. in there who speaks English, but when they speak English, in the book, they or in the audiobook, they speak it with, like, a thick, like, Japanese, like, stereotypical horrible accent so it's like me no understand english very oh, well God. like it's it's fucking straight up racist like it's not like it's not artistic it's not a choice it's just pure blatant racism and on the page it doesn't read funny they just added in this like fucked up thing Oh my no, God, that's so fucking horrible. It's like uh, it's like Mickey Rooney is the uh, Japanese neighbor in Breakfast at Tiffany's racist. It's like, you know, okay, it was the 60s. How fucked up was that? But no, this is like, you know, four years ago. <laughs> So I don't, this is a weird segue, but uh, but you're talking about uh, about audiobooks, and it reminded me that when I was listening to the um, your second episode, and you guys were talking about how much you hate Kiss, which I agree with 100. percent But do you know that the Kiss um, frontman Paul Stanley he published that book based on music with Tim Moore, who's a very famous German translator and a good friend. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so he got I didn't. It. I didn't know. And, I had no uh, idea. Tim also did like Duff. Uh, uh, is it Duff? Yeah, Duff McKagan's book as well. 
from oh, Guns N' Roses. Roses. Sweet. So he's like got this like reputation as being like sort of the ghostwriter collaborator for like these crazy uh, <laughs> Guns N' Roses and Kiss bands, and he tours around then with them when they go on when they go to give their readings or whatever. He goes with them and does oh. you know whatever whatever does he ghost read? <laughs> yeah, he goes. He my theory is that Paul Stanley like has no he's like illiterate, so <laughs> you know he's like I I wrote this book. Could you? Please read this for me. Yeah, it's going to be read by my by my main man here while I go and like you know flirt with some twenty year olds and snort some heroin off my ass. God, have you ever heard? So Chris and I made reference to, but I want to make sure that everyone knows that this exists. If you haven't experienced it, that there is on the internet like a forty three minute audio file that is just Paul Stanley on stage doing between song banter. No way. Oh yeah, it's 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 it's. I listen to it whenever I get sad or depressed and it cheers me up because it's just all it's everything between the songs so there's no music it's just paul stanley saying stuff like you know yeah you're gonna rock tonight cleveland and yeah just like just on and on like that like explaining like the genesis of some of the songs like let me tell you about cold gin and it's just so fucking horrible and so cheesy (laughs) that it just lifts my spirits every time i found it and it's got a great picture of him on the on the the image before you hit play of him sucking on his middle finger (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, that's for you it's just yeah well give it a listen later you'll you'll yeah especially after a few drinks it just gets better and better wow it's like it's unrelenting how long it is though you really have to like strap in for something like that but i have so many friends who love that band and love guns and roses which is another band that i have like pretty weird feelings about so i never liked guns and roses i had this like conversation a few times with um nate from the from open letter who does a lot of our designs and he was he's like everything that i say i'll be like this is why i don't like guns and roses blah 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 it's like those are the exact same things that other people say but they just love those things like it's not like you have a, a bad read on guns and roses it's just that everyone else likes that and you don't <laughs> Yeah, that's that's about right. I like I I I know I'm never going to be famous, but I wish I was famous for one reason, and it's that I want the Onions AV Club to ask me to do a hate song interview. Have you ever read those? No. They have like people they like, usually comedians or actors or musicians, and they say pick a song and like they interview them about why they hate the song and they break down everything about this one particular song. So like famously they had um, John Langford from the Mekons was was I don't even remember what song he hated. I think it was by Mumford and Sons, and then um, uh, like Brian Posehn, the comedian, did some song that he hated. That was like a fake metal song, oh. and um, Steve Coogan did the Lady in Red, you know, from the eighties. It's just like usual kind of terrible shit songs. I was thinking about, I thought a lot about like what would be my one song that I hate so fucking much I could talk about it for forty minutes. <laughs> and it's not even like there are songs I hate more than this, like truly hate more than this. But I would probably choose Welcome to the Jungle. Oh, just man. because it's such a fucking frustrating song for me for so many reasons like if it's on the radio it doesn't like it's not like i get angry and i go oh turn this off it's just like i can ignore it but when i think about it deeply it just starts to grate on me how much i fucking hate that song that song is good for one thing only it is good for closers coming out of the bullpen 
Oh yeah. Okay. Wow. Well, like you if know. you're, it, I yeah. If you're like, we had to do in Brazil. We had to do the, uh, this event. Like, um, it was Brazil is crazy. Brazil is a crazy place. Who <laughs> doesn't know that? It's so a I've crazy heard. fucking place. But um, so the 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 big event that they had was like this connections, ten years of connections between Brazil and the rest of the world to promote Brazilian literature abroad. And they'd have it um from four until ten, four p.m. until ten p.m. every day. So like during the morning, we didn't do a whole lot. I get up sort of late, get breakfast, not do a lot, and then go and sit in this audience and watch these people talk about Brazilian culture for like six hours and then have dinner at like 10:30 or 11 and then go to bed and like do that over and over again. So it's like a weirdest schedule, but they, um, they would have the people, the panelists sit in the audience and then they would introduce them and have you come on stage as you were introduced. That was all being broadcast live over Facebook and shit. Um, right. that was the moment where all I wanted was that they'd call my name and just start playing. Welcome to the jungle. That was an actual joke. That, that wow. Great. Just be like, do, 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 do. Welcome to the jungle. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Loud as it's hell. Cool. Loud as hell in this fancy, fancy, fancy <laughs> museum. I mean, I could see that. You know, there's some there's some context where that would be the song that might be the best song. Yeah. Like, like I was like I was teaching this the book The Jungle in class by Upton Sinclair. Uh-huh. And like day one of our lecture, I said, Okay, welcome to the jungle. And I immediately hated myself for going there. But <laughs> And did, you know, did the students even know who that what that was a reference to? Yeah, half of them kind of chuckled. They go, uh-huh, I see what you did there. But, yeah, solid. But damn, it's just, I mean, that's actually, Guns N' Roses is, for whatever reason, one of the cultural icons from, you know, 30 years ago or whatever, where, like, people do kind of still know what that means and who they were. I think it's I mostly because of the are. Super Bowl a few years ago when Slash came on. <laughs> yeah, I guess they found a way to milk their relevance, even though they had, they only have a few records uh, really. Yeah. And, uh, it really just had that one big one. And when I was in high school, like towards the end of high school, that was like all anybody was into. And, uh, I didn't hate the whole record or anything like that, but I just remember the first time I saw them on MTV was that video. And I'm like, these guys are, you know, they look at this guy on stage with his fucking hair. He looks ridiculous. And why is he fake stuttering with a thing? It's like, you sound like a fucking idiot. And it's like, all that would maybe be tolerable until he says, you know where you are. You're in the jungle, baby. Yeah. You're going to die. And it's so fucking dumb. Yeah, the, um. it just and all my friends who were like, and all my friends were into some serious metal. I mean, we were all like listening to like Slayer and Stormtroopers of Death and oh, all this. Yeah. Like, terrible. and Dockin'. then suddenly, like, yeah, well, it, like the heaviest shit I could think of. Okay. And, and suddenly, somebody's like, "Yeah, but Guns and Roses, man, these guys are kind of cool." I'm like, I don't know, man, they, they seem kind of lame. Like, we should be, we should be like elitist metalheads above this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. There's so um, a number of years ago when I first got divorced, I had to go on a um, uh, uh, what should we call it, like a family vacation over the summer, and it was it happened to be coincide with the time that Deadspin was having the the sports blog was having their um, music week, and it was like a week of celebrating music things, right? And uh, <laughs> so far I went, I was driving around, and I came up with this idea of this like sort of character who would write in to, to Deadspin, because I was going with my parents and meeting my parents and my brother, his wife and his two kids um, at this place in um, Sandusky, Ohio. And it was Ooh. like, it was like, yeah, right. Like, it sounds like a goddamn disease <laughs> already. And, um, and it was like this, uh, this little, we had a, like our own little apartment or whatever a house that we were all staying in that they had rented. And on the, the site where you could rent these cabins was this bar 
that was called like, oh, what was it called? It was something really horrible, like Captain Louis or something. And the night that we're getting there was karaoke night. So I wrote in to Ted Spin. I was like, dear Ted Spin, I need your help. Like, I'm, I'm recently divorced. I'm not, you know, I'm, I've got a, a, a kind of sad, um, nerdy job. I don't really have a lot of friends. I have these two kids who make me look like an asshole all the time. My, uh, my parents don't really like me. Uh, my brother is perfect. And so, like, he and his perfect little family <laughs> are, are great. And it's like, and so I, and I have to go on this family vacation, and I'm just having so much anxiety over it that I've decided that the best way is to just fuck it up so bad that I will never be invited back. And as it turns out, we're going to Sandusky, where you can't even, like, masturbate and cry because the locals used up all the tears. And um, and they have this bar wow. called Captain Louie's, and you get this karaoke night. And I was like, I want to go there. I want to get super drunk. I want to sing the worst karaoke song ever and hit on cougars until my parents never invite me back. And I was like, what song should I sing? And the first answer was, was Sweet Child of Mine. <laughs> the full, oh, Jesus the Oh God, that song goes on. <laughs> it never ends. It's got like a huge, long, like four minute solo. In I know. <laughs> God, it's just, I remember that song. I, I remember riding my bike. This is, I think before I had, a, I could drive. And like one of my friends was just singing that, like, cause I think he had his headphones on and he had his cassette of like, you know, appetite for destruction. It yep. was singing that the whole time we were riding our bikes down the street together. And I think I may have just turned around and like rode home out of just <laughs> anger because it just wouldn't stop. <laughs> But, but I, so did you actually sing that? Did you do the karaoke? No, we got there. I was so prepped. I was like, just ready to go on. I was going to do hip hop parade. <laughs> or OP oh, there you go. Because nice. I yeah. thought that would Not be nature, right? one. Yeah. 100% inappropriate. I was all ready to go. And they had canceled karaoke night because the DJ was sick. Ah, oh, Jesus. Yep. Yeah. You missed an opportunity there. Missed every, now, now, now I get along with my family a lot better. Everything, you know that all worked out and I like going on vacations with them now. I'm excited to like see them at places. So things have changed over 10 years, but at that time it was like, <laughs> it was like the lowest point. Want to like, pull that trigger. Someday. What's that? There could be a day where it could be a day where you want to pull that trigger though. Where you're like, you know what? Everything's good. We've made up. Everything's everyone's getting along, but just because I can, <laughs> I've got this in my back pocket. I've got karaoke. Hip-hop welcome hooray! to the Oh, there you go. So, you know, you gotta get it out. You don't need to have an out. Yeah. So when I was uh, in my 20s and uh, in the South Side, and uh, uh, there was this bar in the Burbs called Durbin's that uh, may or may not still be there. It was kind of like, it seemed like it should be a fine establishment, but it was a little seedy and weird. And um, like my brother and, and I, my friends, we would all sort of hang out there. And they had karaoke on Fridays, so it got to be a thing where everybody would just would eventually, like, it was a rite of passage, you have to go do the karaoke. So I was a little shy about it, but, you know, kind of a few beers. So I went and I sang uh, Whip It by Devo. <laughs> and I killed. I mean, everybody was cheering. Uh, during kind of like the moment where there's not really a, any vocals, it was kind of like a musical moment, like in the middle, it's kind of like a keyboard solo thing. Uh, I started like pogo dancing. Yes. Um, it, it was like, I brought the fucking house down and then a week later um i go back to the bar back to Durban's, and i'm like all right i'm gonna do this again this is like my it's like a it's like my gig and uh i chose um i think i chose love shack for for some reason and uh before the song was halfway through they pulled the mic from me they cut it because i was that bad it was Uh. was so so i went from like glory to absolute ruin in a week yeah you have to stick with one you have to stick with the one man once you find one that works you just go yeah 
we used I, to I was do, stretching myself, you know. We used to do karaoke here in Rochester a lot because it was like the the day that we played indoor soccer, the bar that sponsored us um, had karaoke, so we'd go there afterwards, and one thing would lead to another. And um, so I've done a lot of embarrassing karaoke in my life, unfortunately. I can see that. Yeah, is that what two by blurs? One of my favorites. That's one of my go tos because you get to just scream. But then also. Um, uh, Seven Nation Army, because <laughs> people oh, know okay. what it is, and yeah. like you also get to do a little bit of screaming in there. That's good. One time I did with my friend Sky. He tried to he tried to get us to do um, "Mama Said Knock You Out" by LL Cool J, and there are a motherfucking lot of words to that song. There that's, are way more words than I remember. Yeah, that's not a. I mean, anything uh, mildly hip hopish. You know, there's a lot uh, in there. It's not like you know verse, chorus, verse with some, yeah. with a guitar solo. It's yeah. That's a commitment. Don't call it a especially, comeback. yeah, especially LL Jesus, who's nominated, possibly nominated for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which oh. is the other news for today. Well, here's the, my brother showed this on Facebook because he does this every year. Um, you can vote for like I guess there's 15 uh, nominations, and you get to vote for like you know who you want, and um, I guess that contributes to it. So LL was on the list. LL Cool J, I voted I for him. Totally vote for the him. Big, the big band we're voting against, but they're currently have most fan, like most people who voted have voted for this band, of course, is uh, fucking Bon Jovi, which God is like, damn it. Right. There you go. Fuck that's the bon proper Jovi. response. That's the that's no the proper way. response. That band like, the other bands on there. The other bands on there are Rage Against the Machine, the MC5, <laughs> the MC5? Meters, Shaka Khan with Rufus, fucking Eurythmics, the Cars, Dire Straits. Um, bands that I would argue have earned it. And then you have like the, I've seen a million faces and rock them all band, uh, which is the worst lyric in, you know, in metal. Right? Yeah. That's not even metal. I That's can't call metal. them a metal. They like, uh, they're they just like ballads. They wrote a lot of ballads. Yeah. And my brother really hates that band. I mean, more than I do. He truly cannot stand Bon Jovi. It's I, kind of funny to like bring it up around him. But. I used to have a soft spot for the cars growing up. I don't know why. No, cars are all right. There's some good songs. I mean, like I respect the cars, what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Not Bon Jovi though. No, Bon Jovi. Like every, but all the women in my family, like totally love Bon Jovi because they think John Bon Jovi's hot. And my brother's theory is that a guy will, will find a female musician attractive and not buy their records. Yeah. Uh, Whereas like women will find them attractive and then buy the record. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll press mute when Britney Spears videos come on, but we won't like (laughs) go out and buy the fucking CD. I mean, this is how I'm thinking. I can't think of who the current female musicians were. The first thing that came to mind was Mariah Carey. (laughs) Okay. I don't think I'm doing much better than you are. (laughs) No, no, but it's good. I like not knowing anything about music now. It's great. Cause, yeah i listen to a lot of music i listen to a lot of new music like almost to a point where it's a problem where like i'll listen to new things each week and then not remember that those albums came out because i just move on like there's only a handful of things i listen to like more than five times or whatever um because it's all there it's like it's because of spotify it's just all there like i can listen to everything yeah it's pretty bad i mean i love it but like i'm dipping into stuff that i've neglected like blind spots over the years bands that i should know more about right uh and i'm sort of like but the and these are bands that are like going back i mean like 
like I'm going back to the sixties and listening to the thugs, which is like, right. you know what I'm obsessed with now, but it's like, you know, there's no reason I should be listening to this. Like I never would have gone out in the nineties in the to a record store and like looked for that CD. But so it's great in that regard, but it is also like it keep. It, I do the opposite. It keeps me from knowing about what's going on in music now. Oh yeah. Cause it's, I'm, cause I'm too busy digging backward. Oh yeah. Even if you're, even if you're listening to what's going on now, like I, I, I have this system, this is also nerdy, but, um, all music, uh, dot com has like a list of like recommended releases every week. That's like probably like 50, 50 different albums or more. And, um, I'll just go through that every Friday when it comes out and anything that sounds vaguely interesting, I just put it in like a queue and then play that on a random all week and find if there's any of the albums on there that I think are cool. So it's never like the top 40 stuff, but it's like, there's a lot of shit that gets produced. There's a lot of bands obviously. And like, it's not, it's not as high of a bar to like create an album as it was in 1985. So like, there's a lot of stuff out there that's like good or like good enough. Um, and there'll be every once in a while, something that's like really spectacular, but, uh, but I can ignore just wholesale, like all of the top 40 stations and all of like those bands. I have no idea who those people are anymore, unless they are played on a sports thing. Like if they use like, what's that right. terrible band that I hate that I always make fun of the, um, fallout boy. Like I know of fallout boy solely because yeah. they use their music for every fucking championship. Uh, that's the band that does the, uh, monster song, right? I call it. Like they played the riff from the Monsters, and then yeah, um, yeah, yes, 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 yes. Fall Out Boy, yeah, okay. yeah, and they That's also play the they, they play the Suzanne Vega song riff and change that too. Really? Yeah, it's oh, like that I think one's it's Champions is the name of that. Like, oh god, I can't remember. I think it's called Champions though, and they use it for like a lot of like the uh, college football playoffs for a while. See, I don't give shit about football. That's yeah. what's great about. <laughs> that's like this. That's a sport that I care the least about uh, at all. I, I like I like fantasy football quite a bit, especially now that Kaya's into it. Um, because she uh she's gotten way into it, and uh, it's fun to to sit around and watch uh Red Zone, where you can just end for three hours. I get you can watch it all day. But I generally watch like the one o'clock games with my phone out, just texting mean insults to people. Oh, well, there you go. That's that's what it's all about is just shit talking, I guess. But. Yeah. And the games themselves, I, I like my teams, but like whatever. But I, I, it's also like I think it's a Rochester thing, like or not Rochester, but small town thing. Like once once you're in a town that's like, you know, minorly, mildly exciting at times, like a lot of sports things I watch more now than I ever did before. Silly because I'm like, well, that's on. <laughs> that's a thing I sure. can do. <laughs> I can be I can be entertained by this. I don't watch it.